Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Oh, yeah, that penis is inside him. <laughs> What's on this side? Oh, and again. Yeah. Oh, lovely. I think she's 1,200 years old. Once I said 12,000, no one batted an eyelid. I was like, thanks, kid. <laughs> you got my back on this one. <laughs> Hello, dear listener. Hannah here from Banging Book Club. I am really excited to share with you this very special episode. If you've been with us for a while, you will know that in our first year, one of the books we read was called A Little Gay History. And that's exactly what it was. And it was based around a lot of objects that you can find in the British Museum. Skip forward a couple of years and I have met some amazing people who work at the British Museum doing incredible work with the objects and education around sex and sexuality and gender. And so I thought we have to turn this into a podcast episode. Just quick disclaimer, neither Banging Book Club nor myself are sponsored by the British Museum. I just think that this is a really cool program. And also I'm a history graduate and I specialized in sexual history. So this is just right up my street. So the British Museum run relationships and sex education workshops for key stage three, four and five students. So that is secondary school. The workshops are completely free, they're an hour and a half, and there's a whole bunch of different themes to choose from, such as pornography, consent, body image, LGBT, and gender identities. If you are a student of that age, I would highly recommend you telling your teachers about this. If you are a teacher, I would highly recommend bringing your students along to something like this. It was created by Melanie, who works at the British Museum, and Chloe, who is an artist and educator. And it was actually Chloe who showed me around and talked me through all of these objects, which is what you're about to listen to. First of all, I'll let Chloe explain a little more about how the programme came about. I was working here as an artist, and then I saw that there was a sugar exhibition on, which mm -hmm. is incredible, like erotic Japanese woodprint, woodblock prints. Mm -hmm. And there was a sign saying, nobody under 16 can come in here. And I was like, oh, this is such a lost opportunity. Damn. Because actually, like this erotic imagery often features a lot of mutual pleasure, whereas a lot of the erotic imagery that people under 16 are informally looking at, obviously not legally, but informally mm -hmm. looking at, is like, as in mainstream porn, is incredibly like not mutually pleasurable. Yeah. For all the people involved in it. Normally just the pleasures reserved for those of us with penises. So I thought this is a great opportunity to be able to talk about pornography and gender identities and consent 
and LGBTQ plus and body image in the museum using the objects here because they're obviously here. It's just that, like, they're not being used for this purpose at the moment. So that's when we set up the programme. So what you're about to listen to is myself and Chloe wandering around the British Museum on a Thursday morning, talking about all these objects and the themes around sex and gender and consent and all of those things. But quick announcement beforehand, December is coming up, if you hadn't noticed. And December is listener's choice in terms of the book that we are reading. So currently we are reading inferior by Angela Saini and we've had a look at all of the recommendations that you've sent in over the year on social media and on Goodreads and we've come up with a final four and by the time you're listening to this there will be a poll over on our Twitter at Banging Book Club and you can vote for your favourite of what you want us to read in December. This has been a very long introduction. I hope you enjoy our sex object tour of the British Museum. I have also taken pictures of each of the objects, so I'll be putting those on social media. And if you're listening on Acast, there is a function where you'll be able to see the picture of what we're talking about during that bit. I will figure out how to make that work. So you'll be able to see the pictures of the objects whilst you're listening to us talk about it. We hope that you enjoy this special episode. Okay, so this is the Queen of the Night and we're in Mesopotamia right now oh. in 1750 BC and she is kind of like a human and kind of not like a human. Yeah, she's got like claw feet and yes. wings yes. but she also has like a female body. There are some boobs there, there's like a belly button and some hips and a waistline. Definitely. She's nude, not naked. We can't see her pubes. Oh, I see. Yes. Is that the difference between nude and naked? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is fine. This is not shameful. This is cool. She's a goddess. Okay. Because she's got horns on her head. Right. Yeah. So that means that she's a Mesopotamian deity. We don't know who she is. She might be Ishtar or she might be Ereshkigal. Okay. So two like goddesses. One Ishtar is the goddess of sexual love and war, and then Ereshkigal is the goddess of the underworld. Ooh. And her wings are pointing downwards, so that could be kind of denoting underworldness. I really wish you guys could see what Chloe is doing right now, like <laughs> her movements. It's kind of thrust. This <laughs> hit, hit thrust. And she stood on some lions. Yeah. Next to some owls, and she's got a rod in each hand. All this kind of curly thing. Yeah, is it like a whip? That's where my brain went. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Who so knows? maybe she's Ishtar, yeah. Sexual love and whipping. <laughs> so she, and she also has the power to change genders. Oh. Not herself, but of other people. Oh, I see. Yeah, so she can change male to female, female to male. So we talk about this object when we're, talk, when we're thinking about gender as a kind of fixed idea or gender as something that's more fluid yeah and when we talk about how different cultures reproduce their ideas of gender either through the rigidity and the binary or through the fluidity fluidity and how it can change yeah. what kinds of things do like young people have to say about this like when you when you talk about gender with with her often we talk about their ideas of identity and sexuality and religion so oh, it's really important. Okay. Yeah, it's really important for young people. She's a goddess who's doing this, who has this ability to change oh, people's genders, not just because that like, makes it like more official. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's someone who's seen as like 
yeah, the absolute authority, like a goddess is the absolute authority. It's not like some charlatan who's come into town and said like, hey, you can yeah. be male, you can, you can be transgender. It's not that. It's her saying, I'm a goddess and I have the ability, or maybe we all have the ability to change genders. Gender is not fixed. Do you know like why she might have changed people's genders? Was it if they requested it, mm. if they asked, or like maybe it was a punishment? Like, like what... Like, why did she change people's genders? Do we know that? I don't know. Mm. Maybe we do, but I don't. Yeah. But, and that's something that we can discuss. We can talk about, yeah, if it would be a punishment to change gender for anybody in the group. Yeah. If the, what their, how that would affect their lives, if it would affect the way they dress, the way they eat, how they express themselves, the music they listen to, the friends they have. How they're perceived. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, definitely. Really interesting. And there's also a picture a smaller one of a reconstruction of the colours mm. that she would have had, which is which have obviously faded. And the owls are so cute. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Look at the owls in it. Um, but yeah, she's like bright red. Yes. Um, which is really cool. And she's got a black background, which is one of the reasons why she's called Queen of the Night. Oh, I see. Because that black background may denote the night time. And also, the British Museum didn't originally buy this object when it was... Um, kind of suggested that they could buy it. Yeah, exactly. Um, Because they thought it was a fake. They didn't think it was real. And also, I'm not sure if this is why, but she's called Queen of the Night as well because she might be a brothel sign. There were lots of these made. Ah. So there's a kind of link there. So big enough for the sex Oh, so there's like lots of these. Yes, yeah, yeah. So this is a kind of baked, straw-tempered clay kind of relief. But yeah, it's something that could be produced lots and lots of times. It's not like an individual piece that was carved out of marble. Yeah, and you can kind of see she could be like a sign, like swinging. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> this way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, lots to talk about. So this is an object that isn't part of like the education tour that you do, but you showed it to me last time and I love it. Mm. So this is a silk wall hanging. It's like a tapestry. It's made in India by a group of women belonging to an NGO where they get to learn skills and they're often like poor or illiterate women. So it's a way to help them earn money. And they started to use these tapestries to address issues such as like poverty and social injustice. And this one is all about AIDS. So the first time I saw this, I thought those were milk bottles. Yes. Yeah. yeah, but they are in fact condoms, mm. and there's all sorts of just stuff going on. People are holding condoms. It looks like they're passing yeah. to other people. And there's there's two people lying down inside on a bed together, mm. and then there's another person like getting a blood transfusion. Um, and then they're all yeah. on the edge as well. I love condoms as a decorative yeah. kind of motif. <laughs> you never see that. I want to oh, see wait, that and more. there's like, are those pregnant women as well? The ones Ooh. with like the big bumps? Yes. Yeah, I love it. I think it's really interesting. It's just like that these would be used as, I don't know if they'd be used like as educational tools about mm. like how mm. AIDS is spread or um, as like awareness raising. Yeah. But I just think this is very cool. Which gallery are we in, Chloe? We're in Living and Dying. We're living which and is, dying. Yeah, totally relevant. Yeah. And I think we don't touch about on this so much in our education sessions because we kind of try to stay away a little bit from sexual health as well. Oh, I where see. that sexual health is something that 
does manage to get covered in school a bit in terms yeah. of sex education. Mm -hmm. Like so that is kind of the bare minimum that you get. Yeah, and you then definitely the get condoms. Yeah. Yeah, you and get then the stuff that method. you talk about, like with consent and pornography, probably is less likely to get covered. So. Yes. Yeah. So that makes sense. But yeah. But do check it out if you're here, because it's, it's, it's really cool. We are now in the new Asia Galleries, room 33, at the British Museum. And we are in front of the magnificent Tara. Tara! <laughs> she is shining. She's gold. She is stunning. She is like right at the end of this gallery. Like she's like the main event. There are currently a lot of people like taking group photos with her, yes. which I love. Yeah, me too. She's such yeah. a star. She's stunning. So apparently she's like solid cast bronze with, and she's gilded. So that's why she looks gold. So she's got a thin ah. layer of gold on her. She's got this fantastic hairstyle. Mm -hmm. She's got this great... A bit like Marge Simpson-esque. Yes, absolutely. And apparently it's like, she's got some like friends in there as well. If we oh. get a little bit closer, she's got some kind of animal friends kind of holding up her do. Oh. And she's got these fantastically long earlobes. She's mm -hmm. got these stretched earlobes. She has her hands. She, so she's kind of personifying the power of Buddha to save us, his compassion and his abilities to save. So her hands are in the kind of madras. Okay, well, yeah, like what palms yes. facing and like one up, one down. Exactly, yeah. So she has the gift of giving in her right hand, I think it is. I'm going to get confused. And then in her other hand, she was holding a lotus flower. But that's gone now. Oh, sad lotus flower. And she's got these, yeah, wicked hips. She's got this tied cloth around her hips. And then she's got nothing on top. No, you can see her nipples and everything. So is this naked? Or it's not because she's got cloth covering her bottom? Yeah, no way, no way. Yeah, she's nude. She's still nude. Definitely. So but we absolutely, we compare her here to Apollo in the Enlightenment Gallery, who's a very kind of classic, classical marble figure uh -huh. of a god. So we kind of compare like how we feel about looking at his body and how we feel about looking at Tara's body. Okay. And often that's within a body image session. And people are shocked by how exciting Tara is sexually excited well have you seen her boobs and that waist as I well know. like it's She's a bit fun. it's a bit like disney princess-esque when you think about like how tiny they make their waists mm -hmm. and it's just like that isn't humanly possible no but is she a goddess so or is she yeah 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 so okay. she was a hindu mother goddess and she was then kind of transformed into a buddhist having a buddhist role so like personifying the buddha's yeah, power to save and his compassion. And she's from Sri Lanka, so medieval Sri Lanka. So she's 1200 years old. Damn. And she was either gifted or somehow removed from the last king of Kandy when it was annexed during uh, the early 19th century by the British. Right. She ended up here at the British Museum in the 1830s and was immediately locked away. Oh, so no one could see her. Oh my god, yeah, they were like, no way, she is way too erotic, she is dangerous. So when was she brought out to be like the star of the show? About 30 years later, I believe, she was allowed okay. to be put out for everyone to see. Even though it was absolutely known that she is not pornographic, as in she was not made to arouse us sexually. Okay. She, it was always known that she's absolutely a figure to, not to worship, but to be the center of meditation. And yet still, 
Is that how we define pornography, that it's in, in the intention of why it's made? It's like, if this is made to arouse people, mm -hmm. then it is porn. So what if you're making something that isn't naked, isn't sexual, but its intention is to arouse someone with, say, a particular fetish, then mm. it's porn? Yeah, in my mind, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. So do you talk about porn with her? Or like... Mm, not so much, no. Because no. no. she's not porn. Yeah, she's not porn, and... It feels maybe a little bit too easy to... I guess the link with porn would be the link with a certain kind of ideal, idealised body type. Yeah. So that's why we normally talk around body image, like when we're looking at her. But we do bring out pictures of Kim Kardashian because we talk about yeah. kind of unrealistic body types and yeah. thinking about maybe... If your body is your own, what's wrong with plastic surgery? Like, thinking about living in a body and having a body for people to look at. So trying to think about those two different kind of viewpoints on your body. Like, is your body to be looked at or is it to be lived in? Mm. So we're now in room 25, Africa. It's a big, it's a group of rooms to be fair. And which is representative of the many countries that make up the continent of Africa. And we are in front of the Benin Bronzes. Yeah. So these, are cast plaques in relief so they've got a flat back but then they the bodies of the people on the front are sticking out yeah and there's and loads of them and they're yeah. all different yes yeah lots of them feature the king with soldiers other members of the royal family as well <laughs> some of them just have like swords and like weapons on them yeah sure <laughs> so what do you talk about with these in terms of their the education with young people. Sure, so we bring, this is often our introductory object when we're talking about consent, so it's during the consent workshop. And that's because I find that it's really helpful to start thinking about whether we live in a consensual society, kind mm. of. In general. In general, yeah. exactly. Like not even sexual, but everything. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So we think about how these objects came to the British Museum and if they're here consensually or not. Mm -hmm. So these objects were taken from the palace in the Kingdom of Benin in 1897 by British troops during a punitive mission. I think punitive means punish, does it? Sounds like it, yeah. yeah. Okay. It seems in, like where that word comes from. Yeah, yeah, thank you. In a kind of retaliatory act um, against the Kingdom of Benin after they killed some British people. And that kind of... Um, that was because of trade and who was in control of the trade coming in and out of Benin. Right. Um, which and this is in Nigeria. Yeah, here, yeah. southern Nigeria. So, yeah, so lots and lots of plaques. I was reading online and it said up to 4,000 ivory and brass. Wow. Not bronze, brass, I think. Yeah, um, plaques were taken from the kingdom when the palace was destroyed and the king was captured. And those were distributed, yeah, bought, auctioned off to museums and I guess co private collectors as well yeah. throughout Europe. So there's loads and loads in Berlin. There's quite a few as you can see here as well. And yeah, from the 1960s, the Nigerian government have been asking for these objects back for them mm -hmm. to be repatriated. And we know that, yeah, those, that's an issue that is mirrored in other museums around the world as well at yeah. the moment. So that's where we begin our discussions around consent. If these are here consensually, if they're not, 
if museums are consensual spaces, we think about the rules of the British Museum, they are somewhere on the wall. So it's like there's a rule, there's rules that we are all consenting to. Oh, I see. As soon as we come in yeah, here, yeah. which is like not to eat food in here. Yeah, no not, flash photography. All that kind okay, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But often we're actually not necessarily uh, consenting specifically to that, but we are yeah. consenting by being in here. So we kind of talk about that as well. We talk about... Is it like informed consent or not? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So we talk about those things, about yeah. verbal and non-verbal um, signs of consent. So then we kind of, yeah, come into our relationships. So we think about maybe in our friendships, do we always practice consent or do we sometimes practice coercion? So mm -hmm. do people always want to come to the cinema with you? Do they always want to come shopping with you? Or are you or like not? guilt tripping them? Exactly. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, then and from it there, may we seem go to harmless, consent. but yeah. And I think one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about recently in terms of consent and how, like, do we or do we not live in a consensual culture and society is how terrible we are at saying no to non-sexual things. Mm -hmm. So like, if I was like, oh, Chloe, do you want to go get a coffee next week? And you're like, I really cannot be bothered. Yeah, I do not drink coffee. But you don't, but you will not say no to no. me because you don't say no mm -hmm. when someone's asked mm -hmm. you for a coffee. You're like, sorry, I'm busy. Or, mm. or you might just go anyway. Mm. Or you um, lie about yeah. like why you can't go. Yeah. But we'll never say, no, I don't want to. Like, like and I, find it really interesting but like if we aren't taught to be able to say no I don't want to do that for a coffee invite how are we yeah. expected to say no I don't want that when it comes to like a sexual act like oh how, yeah, yeah so that really um is something that I've been thinking about a lot <laughs> definitely and even like how can I say no and still continue this relationship with this person right yeah or how can I say no and because I don't want to continue it like how then do you carry on because yeah. aren't you supposed to say yes and want to hang out all the time with each other? Mm -hmm. It's interesting. No, this is great. And then from this, do you then continue talking about consent with other objects as well? Yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. So we think about what the difference between people and objects are. Because obviously there is a difference. Oh, but actually, I see. often when people are thinking about their sexual autonomy, there can be a kind of like, yeah, who do I belong to when I'm in a relationship? We're so used to saying, you're mine and I'm yours. Mm. And actually, mm, is that helpful? Is that a healthy kind of thing to strive to be someone else's? So we'll go up to see Tara, who we just saw a moment ago, and think about consent with her, seeing as me and my line manager, Melanie, who's not here today, but she's great. She really made the programme happen. Yeah, Big we love Melanie. Melanie. Whoop, whoop. Um, yeah, we saw some, a visitor come up and tweak Tara's nipple, which was absolutely non-consensual. So then we'll talk about like, maybe Tara's really into nipple tweaking and that can be her decision and she yeah. can come out and say that. So we'll think about yes, no, maybe lists that you can get off of Scarletine website. Yes, yes, no, maybe lists. And also the fact that Tara is an actual object, like here in the sense of how we're interacting yes. with Tara, she yes. is an object. But what about Tara, the person, the goddess that yeah. this object is based off? And yes. so like that dichotomy, I guess. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. 
Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. It's exciting. So, Hannah, now we're in the Roman Empire. Yeah. Hooray! And we're standing in front of two busts of some guys. Some one of them- Pretty well-known guys. Yeah, right, I know. Mm-hmm. One of them is an emperor, pretty important one. Pretty important guy, yeah. Hadrian. Hadrian, Hadrian, yeah. that one. Who made the wall. Oh yeah. Also the Pantheon. Damn. Thank you. Um, I think he was emperor for like 21 years or something. He was a very successful Roman emperor. He apparently um, was like really good at leading and didn't start too many wars, didn't start too many other fights with other people. Aww, so it was a, a period of success and stability for the Roman Empire. Strong Hooray. and stable. Oh my God, <laughs> ew, yes. And we use um, uh, Hadrian in our LGBTQ plus session yeah. to trouble these LGBT labels a bit, to have a think about homosexuality seeing as there's apparently no word for homosexual in Latin. No. But Hadrian openly has sex with lots and lots of men. Yeah, and he's got a bust next to him of his lover Antinus. Antinus? Antinus. Antionus? No, Antinus. Mm, Antinus is how it looks. And he was, yeah, he was, appears to be Hadrian's kind of special guy. Yeah. So the guy that I mean, what does that mean? Does that mean he was sexually attracted to lots of people? He was also then sexually attracted and romantically attracted? Was he in love with Antinous? These are all things that we're kind of make, you know, we're trying to work out. And we we often use labels and understandings of like our own relationships in modern day and like project them onto people in the past. Like Hadrian was gay. And it's like, well, gay didn't exist then. Hadrian had no understanding of what gay is. So... How is that possible? Absolutely. And we're, uh, we only know that Antonis was like dead special because he's in a bus yeah, he got in a, the British Museum he got a next bust. to Hadrian. Yeah. And yeah. he got a bus when he died tragically on the Nile. And Hadrian was so gutted that he made yeah, loads and loads of, well, he got other people to make lots of statues of him and also renamed the town Antinopolis. Antinopolis, yeah. After Antonis to kind of really, yeah, hit that home. But also, Hadrian was married. He married. Ah, um, so there was an empress. Yes, she was 14 and he was 24. Okay. How old was Antonus though? Because the way that their busts are depicted, Hadrian has a beard, which like symbolizes that he's the older guy, and Antonus has no beard, mm-hmm. which 
from what I've seen, I know that the Romans and Greeks are different, but in terms like on Greek parts as well, it's like the same thing as like the no facial hair indicates that they're like prepubescent and young. Yes. And the facial hair means that they're like an adult. Yeah, absolutely. So he's, it says here that he was in his mid-teens. Mid-teens. Which, which was the normal Roman marrying age. Oh, okay. So it's trying to kind of normalize that for us now. Just, like, so we're not like shocked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's kind of hanging out here like Dionysus. He's, yeah, he's, he's got, got like a like, wreath in, in his hair. hair. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like being the like party god from the Greeks. I mm -hmm. think that is. Um, so was Hadrian bi? Maybe he was bi then, if he had a wife, but he also had. Antonis. Yeah. But that also would have been like expected of him to have a wife. Exactly. So was he in love with her? Was he not? Who knows? Exactly. Did he make any like busts of his wife when like did she die before him or like I don't know. Interesting. As we look around, we can see some female busts, but we do know, yeah, yeah. that men and women, yeah, the gender roles were very rigid. There wasn't equality. Not like we have it now either, but yeah, <laughs> that's something to think about as well. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, hey, this also troubles people's idea of what it means to be a leader, what it means to be the most powerful person, the, the right. leader of the Roman Empire, to be, as people would see now, openly gay. Though yeah. of course we're not openly gay and also like openly grieving for yeah. a same-sex uh, lover. Yes. Yeah. Like, will we see that in America today? No. Mm. Have we ever seen? Have we ever had an openly gay prime minister in this country? No. No. So, was Roman society more progressive Who knows? than our society? Who knows? Who knows? Exciting points to discuss. Yeah. I need to stop saying exciting. I will stop saying that now. It is exciting, though. I know. And the um, Antonis bust has this little orange sticker on it that says desire, love and identity, because there's like an LGBTQ plus trail that you can do throughout the British Museum, and it like will tell you like all the different objects relating to LGBT history. Yes, the yeah. British Museum has been doing loads of work on this actually, even mm -hmm. though this aspect of our lives and all our human history has yeah. been hidden for a long time, yeah. the British Museum is really trying. I think also, I, this is the first time I've come here and seen the orange stickers, which I like because what that's to me saying is it's like we're not hiding this. Mm. It's not like this secret page on the website that you have to find and you have to seek it out and then do the trail yourself. It's like, if you were just a regular visitor wandering around, you would still see that and be like, oh, LGBT. Definitely. And it's nice yeah. that they haven't all been shoved in a gay room together. Or in a is there a gay room? room? No, there oh, isn't. Okay, good. But it's nice <laughs> as well that all these artifacts and objects get to stay within their culture and their time period yeah. so that we can see that actually gender yeah. diversity and sexuality diversity is present across the whole of our history. Yeah. Across the whole of our From planet. now until forever. <laughs> yeah. We're just a couple of steps down from Hadrian and Antonus mm -hmm. looking at the Warren Cup, which is a silver kind of goblet thing. Yeah. Which you'd get out for parties. It's not really like an everyday cup. No, it's a pretty majestic cup, especially because there are depictions of people having sex on the cup. Men specifically having sex in the cup, and then someone sneaking out behind a door and mm. playing peekaboo and watching them. Yes. Um, yeah, there is a lot here. Um, what do you like talk about in the sessions with this cup? Yeah, so we use this cup to speak specifically about sex because I think you really can with this. Yeah, and you can literally see 
genitals inside sex is happening. other people. Yeah, penetration is occurring. Obviously, sex doesn't always involve penetration. No. Is the other sex scene also penetration? Yeah, yeah. it is. And they're in a different position. It's like very versatile. Are they the same people? I don't know. No, they're not the same people. Mm. So we were talking before about um, there being an older lover and a younger lover, a yes. dominant and a passive. One of them has a beard and one of them does not. Does not, exactly. And on the other side, one is wearing a wreath, I think, and the other one is not. Yes. So there is this kind of symbolic depiction of this power dynamic relationship, which was very important for the Romans. Mm -hmm. So to be able to be a man still in Rome, you had to be the active lover. Yep. So you had to be the older lover. Older men would have sex with younger men and it would be part of the younger man's like development into a man. Like a rite of passage. Exactly, and that yeah. was okay. And it was also okay if you were an older man having sex with a younger man, who we think of as a, a young person, as a boy yeah. now. But yeah, so anyway. what would have been not okay? Like two younger men having sex? Well, I think two older men having sex. I think that would be uh, the ultimate form of not okayness. Oh, I Probably see. young as well, yeah. Because it was about power, it wasn't necessarily about sex? I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, exactly as well. Like, what, yeah, what was this about? Was it about sexual attraction? Was it about... Yeah. And also, mm. in terms of what this cup is for, so, like, first mm. of all, it's for drinking out of, mm -hmm. maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe it was just an ornament. Mm. But we were talking before about, like, how to define porn and mm. it being like mm -hmm. the intent of it is for arousal. Mm. Is the intent of this cup for arousal? Great question. This is what we talk about. <laughs> okay. Yeah? This is pornographic. Yeah. Often people say it's not pornographic because they're not moving. Which is... I mean, people read erotica, people mm. look at images. Mm -hmm. So is that saying that all the, you know, the top shelf magazines, is that not porn because they're not moving? So within the kind of realm of the understanding of what pornography is for the people, the young people who come and do the workshops, if it's not on the internet and they're not moving, it's not porn. Because porn is like this narrow thing of like, it's videos of people yes. having sex. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. So we use this to talk about, okay, if we know that we, as a society, like we use pornography to learn about sex, because mm -hmm. I mean, it's there. Cause it's there. Cause, and people are having sex in it. What a great way to learn about sex, by watching other people have sex, right? <laughs> Guys, yeah? Yeah, so I'm then, following. <laughs> so then we talk about here, I give out lots of questions, and we see what we can learn about sex from looking at this. Uh, so so if we just saw this, and this mm -hmm. was the, our only mm -hmm. education around sex, what would we think sex is? Exactly, like pornography mm -hmm. is right now for lots of people, because yeah. we don't have it as so, so much. So I would think that sex isn't for me, because the only people I see in this are men. I would also think that sex is penetration. And I would also think that it's okay for someone else to stick their head around the corner and watch. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and we know that this might represent some people's idea yeah. of sex, but it doesn't represent lots and lots of people's idea of sex. And that's the kind of point we're trying to yeah. raise, or the idea, like, how long does sex last? Can we tell that? No. Also, I've just noticed that none of them are looking into each other's eyes. Mm. So it's penetration, but there's no eye contact. I mean, these people are like opposite, like definitely looking away they from each other. They are looking away from each other, and then these other two are looking in the same direction, but not at each other. Mm. Yeah. So that's interesting as well. Thinking about how the people are relating to each other, mm -hmm. how close they are, obviously physically, but yeah, intellectually or mentally or romantically. But also, you know, you were saying about the power dynamics and like being that active or the passive or like the inserter or the insertee, whatever language you want to use. Mm. In 
with these two here, um, the one who is receiving the penetration is like on top. They're both facing the same way and he's holding a rope. So the idea of him holding that rope actually gives him a lot more power and a lot more like of an active role mm. and he's in a lot more control in terms of like how deep the penetration is and like the the pace of it and everything mm. so that's quite interesting actually because when i look at that i'm like oh you'd, you'd think that the person doing the penetration is in control but because he's holding onto a rope it's like oh actually he has more control over what he's doing with his body yes yeah so this is really yeah not exciting i was going to use the word exciting this <laughs> is real good for questioning this idea of penetration always being the active as opposed to seclusion which is a word that i try and kind of introduce to people i i've heard the word covering oh. being used in terms of being like the active role of the person who has the whole yes. <laughs> yeah they're, yeah they're covering yes yeah there's, lo- there's a lot of that i think there's a lot of people trying to like make that language more accessible and people more aware aware of it because um, I think we've done a good job of like breaking down gender stereotypes in terms of like the man is the active one in sex and the woman is the passive one in sex and then we kind of broke that down and then we were like no the penetrator is the mm, active one and, the, and yeah whatever mm. gender they are and the penetratee <laughs> is the passive one and now we're like breaking that down even further like no 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 you can be active and be being the one that's being penetrated at the same time yeah which is where i think that language is coming from Mm. and i think that shows how important talking about sex is Mm -hmm. because actually like language and ways we identify and groups and communities we want to belong to sometimes and then kind of want to question all of this stuff is so important so 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 important yeah so you can get a lot of knowledge and a lot of questioning and a lot of hmm Mm-mm-mm, from talking about sex. Definitely. I don't know if it's ever mentally related to this, but the two guys, and I've never thought about it with a cup before, the two guys looking in the same direction. I read a whole essay at uni about uh, using mirrors in sex during mm-hmm. the Roman era. Oh, there are there are bedrooms that have mirrors on ceilings. <gasps> So maybe they were both watching themselves in a mirror. Because lots of people have these amazing frescoes. They only survive in places that burnt down, but of couples like like quite intimately involved. And so it's like a lot of people have looked at this like, well, the woman's clearly being objectified in this and that. But if you think about the mirrors and both the couples actually looking at themselves, then you can start thinking about those frescoes as actually are you seeing yourself in this rather than is it a pornographic oh, thing that is there to yes. stimulate the man so yeah. that you two can get down to business? Oh, man. Um, but yeah, there's mirrors. Like, I don't know if it's... We need to, yeah, I know. We need some of this. We need this in the world. Um, it is. It's, it is in the world. It's still recording. Uh, yes. So that lovely voice you heard at the end talking about Roman sex mirrors was Nick, who was following me and Chloe around with audio equipment and making sure that our mics were recording the whole time. Nick is a creative producer for the British Museum and runs their YouTube channel, amongst other things. So thank you so much, Nick, for your support on the day. Thank you, Chloe, for all of your words of wisdom. Thank you, Melanie, for being one of the reasons why this program exists in the first place. I will leave links in the description where you can find out more about the sex education workshops and I'll also leave some links to Chloe's work if you are interested in other stuff that she does as an artist and an educator. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Banging Book Club 
and go and vote in the poll for what we're going to be reading in December. Thanks for listening. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.